Sensibility, Chapter 22. Marianne, who never had much toleration for anything like impertinence, vulgarity, inferiority of parts, or even difference of taste from herself, was at this time particularly ill-disposed from the state of her spirits to be displeased with the Miss Steeles or to encourage their advances, and to the invariable coldness of her behavior towards them, which checked every endeavor at intimacy on their side, Eleanor principally attributed that preference of herself, which soon became evident in the manners of both, but especially Lucy, who missed no opportunity of engaging her in conversation or of striving to improve their acquaintance by an easy and frank communication of her sentiments. Lucy was naturally clever. Her remarks were often just and amusing, and as a companion for half an hour, Eleanor frequently found her agreeable. But her powers had received no aid from education. She was ignorant and illiterate, and her deficiency of all mental improvement, her want of information in the most common particulars, could not be concealed from Miss Dashwood, in spite of her constant endeavor to appear to advantage. Eleanor saw and pitied her for the neglect of abilities which education might have rendered so respectable, but she saw with less tenderness of feeling, the thorough want of delicacy, of rectitude, and integrity of mind which her attention, her astuities, her flatteries at the park betrayed, and she could have no lasting satisfaction in the company of a person who joined insincerity with ignorance, whose want of instruction prevented their meeting and conversation on terms of equality, and whose conduct towards others made every show of attention and deference toward herself perfectly valueless. You will think my question an odd one, I dare say, said Lucy to her one day as they were walking together from the park to the cottage. Pray, are you personally acquainted with your sister-in-law's mother, Mrs. Ferris? Eleanor did think the question a very odd one, and her countenance expressed it, as she answered that she had never seen Mrs. Ferris. Indeed, replied Lucy. I wonder at that, for I thought you must have seen her at New Orleans sometimes. Then perhaps you cannot tell me what sort of a woman she is? No, returned Eleanor, cautious of giving her real opinion of Edward's mother and not desirous of satisfying what seemed impertinent curiosity. I know nothing of her. I am sure you think me very strange for inquiring about her in such a way, said Lucy, eyeing Eleanor attentively as she spoke. But perhaps there may be reasons. I wish I might venture, but however, I hope you will do me the justice of believing that I do not mean to be impertinent. Ellen made her... Eleanor made her civil reply, and they walked on for a few minutes in silence. It was broken by Lucy, who renewed the subject again by saying with some hesitation, I cannot bear to have you think me impertinently curious. I am sure I would rather do anything in the world than be thought so by a person whose good opinion is so well worth having as yours. And I am sure I should not have the smallest fear of trusting you. Indeed, I should be very glad of your advice on how to manage in such an uncomfortable situation as I am. But however, there is no occasion to trouble you. I am sorry you did not happen to know Mrs. Ferris. I am sorry that I do not, said Eleanor in great astonishment. If it could really be of any use to you to know my opinion of her, but really I never understood that you were all that connected with that family, and therefore I am a little surprised. I confess it's so serious an inquiry into her character. I dare say you are, and I am sure I do not at all wonder at it, but if I dared tell you all, you would be so you would you would not be so much surprised. Mrs. Ferris is certainly nothing to me at present, 
but the time may come how soon it must be, it must come to depend upon herself, when we may be very intimately connected. She looked down as she said this, amiably bashful, with only one side glance at her companion to observe its effect on her. Good heavens, cried Eleanor, what do you mean? Are you acquainted with Mr. Robert Ferris? Can you be? And she did not feel much delighted with the idea of such a sister-in-law. No, replied Lucy, not to Mr. Robert Ferris. I never saw him in my life, but fixing her eyes upon Eleanor to his elder brother. What felt Eleanor at that moment? Astonishment. That would have been as painful as it was strong, had it not an immediate disbelief of the assertions attended it. She turned towards Lucy in silent amazement, unable to divine the reason or object of such a declaration. And though her complexion varied, she stood firm in incredulity and felt in no danger of hysterical fit or a swoon. You may well be surprised, continued Lucy, for to be sure you have no idea of it before, for I dare say he never dropped the smallest hint of it to you or any of your family because it always was meant to be such a great secret. And I am sure has been faithfully kept to me by this hour. Not a soul of my relations know of it, but Anne, and I never should have mentioned it to you if I had not felt the greatest dependence in the world upon your secrecy. And I really thought my behavior in asking so many questions about Mrs. Ferris must seem odd that it might be explained. And I do not think Mr. Ferris can be displeased when he knows I have trusted you because I know he has the highest opinion in the world of all of your family and looks upon yourself and the other Miss Dashwoods quite as his own sister's. She paused. Eleanor, for a few minutes, remained silent. Her astonishment at what she had heard was at far first too great for words, but at length forcing herself to speak and to speak cautiously, she said with a calmness of manner, which tolerably well concealed her surprise and solitude. May I ask if your engagement is of a long standing? We have been engaged these four years. Four years? Yes. Eleanor thought great shock. She still felt unable to believe it. I did not know, said she, that you were even acquainted till the other day. Our acquaintance, however, is of many years to date. He was under my uncle's care, you know, a considerable while. Your uncle? Yes, Mr. Pratt. Did you never hear from talk of Mr. Pratt? I think I have, replied Eleanor with an exertion of spirits, which increased her increase of emotion. He was four years with my uncle, who lived at Longstaple near Plymouth. It was there that our acquaintance began for my sister and me was for my sister and me was often staying with my uncle and it was there our engagement was formed though not till a year after he had quitted as a pupil but he was almost always with us afterward i was very unwilling to enter into it as you can imagine without the knowledge and approbation of his mother but i was too young and loved him too well to be so prudent and i ought to have been though you do not know him as well as me miss dashwood you must have seen in him to be sensible that he is very capable of making a woman sincerely attached to him. Certainly, answered Eleanor without knowing what she said. But after a moment's reflection, she added with revived security of Edward's honor and love and her companion's falsehood. Engaged to Mr. Edward Ferris, I confess myself so totally surprised at what you tell me that really, I beg your pardon, but surely there must be some mistake of person or name. We cannot mean the same Mr. Ferris. We can mean no other, cried Lucy, smiling. Mr. Edward Ferris, the Ellis son of Mrs. Ferris of Park Street, and brother of your sister-in-law, Miss John Dashwood, is the person I mean you must allow that I am not unlikely to be deceived as to the name of the man who all, on all my happiness depends. It is strange, replied Eleanor, in a most painful perplexity, that I should never have heard him even mention your name. 
No, considering our situation, it was not strange. Our first care had been to keep the matter secret. You knew nothing of me or my family, and therefore there could be no occasion to ever mention my name to you. As was always particularly afraid of his sister suspecting anything, that was the reason for his not mentioning it. She was silent. Eleanor's security sunk, but her self-command did not sink with it. Four years you have been engaged, she said with a firm voice. Yes, and heaven knows how much longer we may have to wait. Poor Edward, it puts him quite out of heart. Then taking a small miniature from her pocket, she said, to prevent the possibility of mistake, be so good as to look at this face. It does not do him justice, to be sure. But yet you think I cannot be deceived as to the person who who, I, who it was Drew for? I have had it above, above these three years. She put it into her hands as she spoke, and when Eleanor saw the painting, whatever other doubts her fear of too hasty a decision or her wish of detecting falsehood might suffer to linger in her mind, she could have none of its not being Edward's face. She returned it almost instantly, acknowledging the likeness. I've never been able, continued Lucy, to give him any picture in return, which I am very much vexed at, for he has always been so anxious to get it, but I am determined to set for it the very first opportunity. You are quite the right, replied Eleanor calmly. Then they proceeded a few paces in silence. Lucy spoke first. I am sure, she said, I have no doubt in the world of your faithfully keeping the secret, because you must know of what importance it is to us not to have it reach his mother, for she would never approve of it, I dare say. I shall have no fortune, and I fancy she is an exceedingly proud woman. I certainly did not seek your confidence, said Eleanor, but you do me no more than justice in imagining that I may be depended on. Your secret is safe with me, but pardon me if I express some surprise at so unnecessary a communication. You must at least have felt that my being acquainted with it could not add to its safety. As she said this, she looked earnestly at Lucy, hoping to discover something in her countenance, perhaps the falsehood of the greatest part of what she'd been saying, but Lucy's countenance suffered no change. I was afraid you would think I was taking great liberty with you, she said, in telling you all of this. I have not known you long to be sure, personally at least, but I have known you and all your family by description a great while, and as soon as I saw you, I felt almost as if I was an old acquaintance. Besides, in the present case, I really thought some explanation was due to you after my much making such a particular inquiry about Edward's mother, and I am so unfortunate that I have not a creature whose advice I can ask. Anne is the only person that knows of it. She has no judgment at all. Indeed, she does me a great deal more harm than good, for as I am constant fear of betray her betraying me, she does not know how to hold her tongue, as you must perceive. And I am sure I was in the greatest fright in the world the other day when Edward's name was mentioned by Sir John, lest she should out with it all. You can't think how much I go through in my mind from it altogether. I can. I only wonder that I am alive after what I have suffered for Edward's sake these last four years. Everything in such suspense and uncertainty, and seeing him so seldom, we can hardly speak above twice a year. I am sure. I wonder. I am sure. I wonder. My heart is not quite broke. Here she took out her handkerchief, but Eleanor did not feel very compassionate. Sometimes, continued Lucy, after wiping her eyes, I think whether it would not be better for us both to break off the matter entirely. As she said this, she looked directly at her companion. But then at other times, I have not the resolution enough for it. I cannot bear the thoughts of making him so miserable, and I know the very mention of such a thing would do. And on my own account, too, so dear he is to me, I don't think I could be equal to it. What would you advise me to do in such a case, Miss Dashwood? What would you do yourself? Pardon me, replied Eleanor, startled by the question, but I cannot give you advice under such circumstances. 
your own judgment must direct you. To be sure, continued Lucy after quite a few minutes on silence, of silence on both sides, his mother must prove for him sometime or other, but poor Edward is so cast down about it. Did you not think him dreadful, low-spirited when he was at Barton? He was so miserable when he left us at Longstaple to go with you that I was afraid you would think him quite ill. Did he come from your uncle's then when he visited us? Oh, yes, he had been staying a fortnight with us. Did you think he came directly from town? No, replied Eleanor, most feeling sensible of every fresh circumstance in favor of Lucy's veracity. I remember he told us that he had been staying a fortnight with some friends near Plymouth. She remembered, too, her own surprise at the time at his mentioning nothing further of those friends, at his total silence with respect even to their names. Did you not think him sadly out of spirits? replied Lucy. We did indeed, particularly so when he first arrived. I begged him to exert himself for fear you should suspect what the matter was, but I made him so melancholy not to be able to say, stay more than a fortnight with us, and seeing me so much afterward, poor fellow, I'm afraid it was just the same with him now, for he writes in wretched spirits. I heard from him just before I left Exeter, taking a letter from her pocket and carelessly showing the direction to Eleanor. You know his hand, I dare say, a charming one it is, but that is not written so well as usual. He was tired, I dare say, for he had just filled the sheet out to me as full as possible. Eleanor saw that it was his hand, and she could no doubt and she could doubt it no longer. The picture she had allowed herself to believe might have been accidentally obtained. It might not have been Edward's gift, but a correspondence between them by letter could subsist only under a positive engagement, could be authorized by nothing else. For a few moments, she was almost overcome. Her heart sank within her, and she could hardly stand. But exertion was indispensably necessary, and she struggled so resolutely against the oppression of her feelings that her success was speedy and for the time complete. Writing to each other, said Lucy, returning the letter to her pocket, is the only comfort we have in such a long separation. Yes, I have one other comfort in his picture, but poor Edward has not even that. If he had had my picture, he says he should, he should be easy. I gave him a lock of my hair set in a ring when he was at Longstaple last, and that should have some comfort to him, he said, but not equal to a picture. Perhaps you might notice the ring when you saw him. I did so, said Eleanor, with a composure of voice under which she was concealed in emotion of distress beyond anything she'd ever felt before. She was mortified, shocked, confounded. Fortunately for her, they had now reached the cottage, and the conversation could be continued no further. After sitting with them a few minutes, the Miss Deals returned to the park, and Eleanor was then at liberty to think and to be wretched. Chapter 23 However small Eleanor's great dependence on Lucy's veracity might be, it was possible for her on serious reflection to suspect it in the present case, where no temptation could be answerable to the folly of inventing a falsehood of such a description. What Lucy had asserted to be true, therefore, Eleanor could not, dared no longer doubt, supposed as it was too on every side by such probabilities and proofs, and contradicted by nothing but her own wishes. Their opportunity of acquaintance in the house of Mrs. Pratt was a foundation for the rest, at once indisputable and alarming, and Edward's visit near Plymouth, his melancholy state of mind, his dissatisfaction at his own prospects, his uncertain behavior toward himself, the intimate knowledge of the Miss Steeles as to New Orleans and their family connections, which had often surprised her, the picture, the letter, the ring, formed altogether such a body of evidence as overcame every fear of condemning him unfairly and established such as fact, 
with no particularity could set aside his ill treatment of herself. Her resentment of such behavior, her indignation at having been its dupe, for a short time made her feel only for herself, but other ideas, other considerations soon arose. Had Edward been intentionally deceiving her? Had he feigned a regard for her which he did not feel? Was his engagement to Lucy an engagement of the heart? No, whatever it might have once been, she could not believe it at such present. His affection was all her own. She could not be deceived in that. Her mother, sisters, Fanny, all had been con conscious of his regard for her at Norland. It was not an illusion of her own vanity. He certainly loved her. What a softener of the heart was this persuasion. How much it could not tempt her to forgive. He had been blamable, highly blamable in remaining at Norland after he first felt her influence over him to be more than it ought to be. In fact, he could not be defended. But if he had injured her, how much more had he injured himself? If her case were pitiable, was his hopeless? His imprudence had made her miserable for a while, but it seemed to have deprived himself of all the chance of other being otherwise. She might in time regain tranquility, but he... What he had, what had he to look forward to? Could he ever be tolerably happy with Lucy Steele? Could he, were his affections for herself out of the question, with his integrity, his delicacy, his well-informed mind, be satisfied with such a wife as her, illiterate, artful, and selfish? The youthful infatuation of nineteen would naturally blind him to everything but her beauty and good nature. But the four succeeding years, years which, if rationally spent, gave such improvement at the understanding must have opened his eyes to her defects of education, while the same period of time spent on her side in inferior society and more frivolous pursuits had perhaps robbed her of that simplicity, which might have once given an interesting character to her beauty. If in the supposition of his seeking to marry herself, his difficulties from his mother had seemed great, how much greater were they now likely to be, when the object of his engagement was undoubtedly inferior in connections, and probably inferior in fortune to herself, these difficulties, indeed, with a heart so alienated from Lucy might not press very hard upon his patience, but melancholy was the state of the person by whom the expectation of family opposition and unkindness could be felt as a relief. As these considerations occurred to her in painful succession, she wept for him, more for than herself, supported by the conviction of having done nothing to merit her present unhappiness, and consoled by the belief that Edward had done nothing to forfeit her esteem. She thought she could even now, under the first smart of the heavy blow, command herself enough to guard every suspicion of the truth from her mother and sisters. And so well was she able to answer her own expectations that when she joined them at dinner only two hours after she had first suffered the extinction of all her dearest hopes, no one would have supposed from the appearance of her sisters that Eleanor was mourning in secret over obstacles which must divide her forever from the object of her love, and that Marianne was intentionally dwelling on the perfections of a man whose whole heart she felt she thoroughly possessed and whom she expected to see in every carriage which drove near their house. The necessity of concealing from her mother and Marianne what had been entrusted in confidence of herself, though it obliged her to an easing exertion, was no aggravation of Eleanor's distress. On the contrary, it was a relief to her to be spared the communication of what would give such affection to them, affliction to them, and to be saved likewise from hearing that condemnation of Edward, which would probably flow from the excess of their partial affection for herself, and which was more than she felt equal to support. From their counsel, or from the conversations, she knew could she could not receive assistance. Their tenderness and sorrow must add to her distress, 
while her self-command would neither receive encouragement from their example nor from their praise. She was stronger alone, and her good sense so well supported her that her firmness was unshaken, her appearance of cheerfulness was invariable, as was as with regrets so poignant and fresh, it was possible for them to be. Much she had suffered from her first conversation with Lucy on the subject, she soon felt an earnest wish of renewing it, and this more for the reasons than one. She wanted to hear many particulars of their engagement repeated again. She wanted more clearly to understand what Lucy really felt for Edward, whether there were any sincerity in her declarations of tender regard for him, and she particularly wanted to convince Lucy by her readiness to enter in on the matter again and her calmness in conversing on it that she was no otherwise interested in it than as a friend, which she very much feared her involuntary agitation in the morning discourse must have left her at least doubtful. That Lucy was disposed to be jealous of her appeared very probable. It was plain that Edward had always spoken highly in praise of her, not merely from Lucy's assertion, but from her venturing to trust her on such a short personal acquaintance with a secret so confessedly and evidently important. And even Sir John's joking intelligence must have some weight. But indeed, while Eleanor remained so well assured with herself of being really beloved by Edward, it required no other consideration of probabilities to make it natural that Lucy should be jealous and that she was so, her very confidence was proof. What other reason for the disclosure of the affair could there be but that Eleanor might be informed by it by Lucy's superior claims on Edward and be taught to avoid him in the future? She had little difficulty in understanding thus much of her rival's intentions, and while she was firmly resolved to act by her as every principle of honor and honesty directed to combat her own affection for Edward and to see him as little as possible, she could not deny herself the comfort of endeavoring to convince Lucy that her heart was unwounded. And as she could now have nothing more painful to hear on the subject than had already been told, she did not mistrust her own ability of going through a repetition of particulars with composure. But it was not immediately... But it was not immediately that an opportunity of doing so could be commanded, though Lucy was well disposed of herself to take advantage of any that occurred. For the weather was not often fine enough to allow for their joining in a walk where they might most easily separate themselves from the others. And though they met at least every other evening at the park or cottage, and chiefly at the former, they could not be supposed to meet for the sake of conversation. Such a thought would never have entered either Sir John or Lady Middleton's head, and therefore very little leisure was ever given for general chat, and none at all for particular discourse. They met for the sake of eating, drinking, and laughing together, playing at cards or consequences or any other game that was sufficiently noisy. One or two meetings of this kind had taken place without affording Eleanor any chance of engaging Lucy in private. When Sir John called at the cottage one morning to beg in the name of charity that they would all dine with Lady Middleton that day, as he was obliged to attend the club at Exeter, and she would otherwise be quite alone, except her mother and the two Miss Steeles. <coughs> Eleanor, who foresaw a fairer opening for the point she had in view, in such a party as this was likely to be, more at liberty among themselves under the tranquil and well-bred direction of Lady Middleton than with her husband uninvited them together in one noisy purpose, immediately accepted the invitation. Margaret, with her mother's permission, was equally compliant, and Marianne, though always unwilling to join any of their parties, was persuaded by her mother, who could not bear to have her seclude herself from any chance of amusement, to go likewise. The young ladies went, and Lady Middleton went happily, 
preserved from the frightful solitude which had threatened her. The insipidity of the meeting was exactly such as Eleanor had expected it produced, not one novelty of thought or expression, and nothing could be less interesting than the whole of their discourse, both in the dining parlor and the drawing room. To the latter, the children accompanied them, and while they remained there, she was too well convinced of the impossibility of engaging Lucy's attention to attempt it. They quitted it only with the removal of the tea things. The card table was then placed, and Eleanor began to wonder at herself for having ever entertained hope of finding time for conversation at the park. They all rose up in preparation for a round game. I am glad, said Lady Middleton to Lucy, you are not going to finish this poor little Anna Maria's basket this evening, for I am sure it must have hurt your eyes to work filigree by candlelight, and we will make the little dear love some amends for her disappointment tomorrow, and then I hope she will not much mind it. This hint was enough, Lucy recollected herself instantly and replied, indeed, you are very much mistaken, little Lady Middleton. I am only waiting to know whether you can make your party without me, or should I have been at filigree already. I would not disappoint the little angel for all the world. And if you want me at the card table now, I am resolved to finish with the basket after supper. You are very good. I hope it won't hurt your eyes, but you ring the bell for some working candles. My poor little girl would be sadly disappointed, I know, if the basket was not finished tomorrow. For I thought I told her certainly it would not. I'm sure she depends upon it having done. Table near her and reseated and cheerfulness which seemed to infer that she could taste no greater delight than in making a filigree basket for a spoiled child. Lady Middleton proposed a rubber of casino to the others. No one made an objection but Marianne, who, with her usual inattention to the forms of general civility, exclaimed, Your ladyship will have the goodness to excuse me. You know I detest cards. I shall go to the pianoforte. I have not touched it since it was tuned. And without further ceremony, she turned away and walked to the instrument. Lady Middleton looked as if she thanked heaven she had never made such so rude a speech. Marianne can never keep long from that instrument, you know, ma'am, said Eleanor, endeavoring to smooth away the offense. And I do not much wonder at it, for it is the very best toned pianoforte I've ever heard. The remaining five were now to draw their cards. Perhaps, continued Eleanor, if I should happen to cut out... I may be of some use to Miss Lucy Steele in rolling her papers for her, and there is so much still to be done in the basket that it must be impossible, I think, for her to labor stindly, singly, to finish it this evening. I should like the work exceedingly if she would allow me to share in it. Indeed, I shall be very much obliged to you for your help, cried Lucy, for I find there is more to be done to it than I thought there was, and that would be a shocking thing to disappoint dear Anna Maria after all. Oh, that would be terrible indeed, said Miss Steele. Dear little soul, how I love her. You are very kind, said Lady Middleton to Eleanor, and as you really like the work, perhaps you will be as well pleased not to cut in till another rubber, or would you take your chance now? Eleanor joyfully profited by the first of these proposals, and thus, by a little bit of that address, which Marianne could never condescend to practice, gained her own end and pleased Lady Middleton at the same time. Lucy made room for her, with ready attention, and that the two fair rivals were thus seated side by side at the same table, and with the utmost harmony engaged in forwarding the same work. The pianoforte, at which Marianne, wrapped up in her own music and her own thoughts, had by this time forgotten that anybody was in the room besides herself, 
was luckily so near to them as the Miss Dashwood now judged. She might safely, under the shelter of its noise, introduce the interesting subject without any risk of being heard at the card table. Chapter 24. In a firm though cautious tone, Eleanor thus began. I should be undeserving of the confidence you have honored me with. If I felt no desire for its continuance or no further curiosity on the subject, I would not apologize, therefore, for bringing it forward again. Thank you, cried Lucy warmly, for breaking the ice. You have set my heart at ease by it, for I was somehow or the other afraid I had offended you by what I had told you that Monday. Offended me? How could you suppose so? Believe me, and Eleanor spoke it with the truest sincerity. Nothing could be farther from my intention than to give you such an idea. Could you have a motive for the trust that was not honorable and, and flattering to me? And yet I do assure you, replied Lucy, her little sharp eyes full of meaning, there seemed to me to be a coldness and displeasure in your manner that made me quite uncomfortable. I felt sure that you were angry with me and having been quarreling with myself ever since for having took such liberty as to trouble you with my affairs. But I'm very glad to find it was only my own fancy and that you do not really blame me. If you knew what a consolation it was to me to relive, to relieve my heart by speaking to you of what I am always thinking of every moment in my life, your compassion would make you overlook everything else, I am sure. Indeed, I can easily believe that it was a great relief to you to acknowledge your situation to me and be assured that you shall never have reason to repent it. Your case is a very unfortunate one. You seem to me to be surrounded with difficulties, and you will have need of all of your mutual affection to support you under them. Mr. Ferris, I believe, is entirely dependent on his mother. He has only 2,000 pounds of his own. It would be madness to marry upon that, though for my own part, I could give up every prospect of more without a sigh. I have always been used to a very small income and could struggle with any poverty for him. I love him too well to be the selfish means of robbing him, perhaps, of all that his mother might give him if he married to please her. We must await, it may be for many years, with almost every other man in the world, it would be an alarming prospect, but Edward's affection and constant, constancy nothing can deprive me of, I know. That conviction must be everything to you, and he is undoubtedly supported by the same trust in yours. If the strength of your reciprocal attachment has failed, as between many people under many circumstances, it naturally would be during a four years engagement. Your situation would have been pitiable indeed. Lucy here looked up, but Eleanor was careful in guarding her countenance from every expression that could give her words a suspicious tendency. Edward's love for me, said Lucy, has been pretty well put to the test by our long, very long absence since we were first engaged, and it has stood the trial so well that I shall be unpardonable to doubt it now. I can safely say that he has never given me one moment's alarm on that account from the first. Eleanor hardly knew whether to smile or sigh with this assertion. Lucy went on. I am rather of a jealous temper, too, by nature, and from our different situations in life, from his being so much more in the world than me, and from our continual separation, I was enough inclined for suspicion to have found out about the truth in an instant. If there had been the slightest alteration in his behavior to me when we first met, or of any lowness of spirits that I could not account for, or if he had talked to me more of one lady than another, it seemed in any respect less happy at Longstaple than he used to. I do not mean to say that I am particularly observant or quick-sighted in general, but in such a case, I am sure I could not be deprived. 